Greetings, church and uh, friends of the church. It is uh, the weekend after Easter, and this is our uh, sixth weekend in the season that we're um, we're all making our way through together of isolation and wilderness. Uh, we are still disconnected from what we knew is normal, and we're still not sure when this all will end. We we hope sooner than later, but we just don't know. Um, when we're when we're in the wilderness like this, we can't relate to God in the same way. Um, those same religious and spiritual practices that we do in community, we just can't do um, because we're in our homes um, and we have to be by ourselves. Um, we get together via Zoom, um, but that's different. It's a different way of relating to, to God um, in community than, than, what, than what we're used to. Um, we can't relate to each other in the same way. Um, it's, it's great to see each other through these screens, but it's just not the same as being face-to-face -face and being able to share holy hugs and handshakes. Um, we can't relate to the world in the same way. Our, our, our place in our neighborhoods and our communities feels strange and different. Um, we can't be social in the same way. We can't help our neighbors in the same way. We can't have our kids play in the same way. Um, and we can't relate to ourselves in the same way. It feels very strange to be us um, because we have different tasks, different patterns, uh, different to-do lists, different, different schedules. Um, and there's, a, there's an exhaustion that comes. Um, and trying to be the self in, in these different ways. Um, and that's what we focus on today in this reflection. Uh, to summarize these things um, that we've been considering so far along this journey through the wilderness, um, this journey through disconnection, disruption, um, first we consider that when we're in the wilderness, it's critically important to be present, to be present to God in the here and now, and to be present to others around us and in, 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 in our midst in the here and now, and, and to be present to ourselves, um, to, to be increasingly um, self-aware of, of how we're doing in the midst of this journey. Uh, because if we're not present while we are in this wilderness, we miss the amazing opportunities that emerge for us to be transformed by this season and to come out from this better. Uh, next, we consider that when we are in the wilderness, it's likely that being present in this intentional way uh, will stir, stir new waves of empathy that's hardwired within us. Um, empathy that tends to get suppressed um, or ignored or pushed to the side when we are in the rat race of just trying to keep up with life as we used to know it. Third thing we considered, um, when we are present, when we make that commitment and when we allow empathy to be stirred within us, it makes us more deeply aware of the privilege, privileges that we have if we have them. Uh, and it makes us more aware of those who don't. And it, it there's something in us that is compelling us to extend privilege to those that don't have it. And, and in the last reflection, uh, 
we considered that when we're in the wilderness, we, we are often forced to admit that we do not have ultimate control over our lives. We cannot make a good life for ourselves all by ourselves. Um, we learn that we depend on the life-giving and life-sustaining rhythms of the mysterious creator God. Um, we depend on that which God controls, calling forth sunshine and water and food for the sake of every person and creature on this planet. And we depend on all other human beings, uh, controlling what we are able to control for the sake of the common good rather than the sake of the self. Uh, yes, God is in control, but so are we, and we have to do our part. That's what we've thought about so far uh, in this journey. And, and unfortunately, fortunately, uh, both, we're still here. Um, and so in this reflection, I want to give us something else to think about in the wilderness. And, and I'm going to give us the opportunity to pause and name something that is potentially very harmful that many of us are likely feeling, and that is the strong urge to leave this place of wilderness and go back, to just go back to the way things were before this all started. Um, one of the most important narratives in the history of the Abrahamic uh, faith traditions is the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Through a long season in the wilderness and ultimately toward a future of freedom in a new place. When they were stuck in slavery and indentured servitude in Egypt, they could not be who uh, they were called to be as a people, uh, which is a nation through whom God worked and inspired the world to be united and at peace. Uh, that story wasn't just about how Israel was freed, but about what they were freed to do, how they were freed to really be um, the fullness of themselves. When Moses had his enlightenment moment by the burning bush, um, when he saw clearly that he was able to participate in this effort to free his people, the people of Israel, his first hunch was to turn back to turn away from that future and just to go back to life as he knew attending to his father-in-law's flocks. He shouted out to the universe, you know, God sends somebody else. And we know, because we've read and heard that story. If he had chosen to go back, you know, who knows how much longer the people would have been stuck in Egypt and, and therefore not working out amidst the other peoples and tribes and nations of the world uh, for good. As that narrative continues and, and Moses leads the people out of Egypt and into the wilderness, the people start to fall um, to this temptation to just go back. They get tired of the journey. They get exhausted by setting up and breaking down their camp. They get sick of eating manna. They get mentally and emotionally drained by having to worry each day about where they're going to find shelter and what unknown challenges or enemies they might have to face. They ask Moses, would you please take us back to Egypt? Because they knew there that they were treated um, as second-class citizens or worse, but that at least they had shelter and they had hot meals 
And the enemy was not unknown. The enemy was known and predictable. So at least there, they didn't have to feel like they were perpetually on alert. But going back was not the good or the right or the just thing to do. To step back into the injustice of that circumstances would have been to further enable their oppressors and to further delay the restoration of justice, not only in Egypt, but in that whole area of the world. To step back into the injustice of those circumstances would have been to condemn their children and the unborn to lives of slavery and injustice rather than freedom, and to condemn the old and the vulnerable to death in the midst of oppression. To go back probably seemed like a good idea to those who are the most privileged within those circumstances. But for so many more, it was a very deadly and unjust idea. And so they couldn't go back. They had to make their way one day at a time through the strangeness and exhaustion of the wilderness until they had moved far enough away from that past season of life that they realized that they couldn't and shouldn't go back. And until they had a different idea about what life could be like. It took years for them to get to that point. Uh, but within those years was the daily commitment to be present, to be empathetic, to be open to how life's privileges could be extended beyond themselves, uh, and to develop new commitments to control what they could control for the sake of a greater good. Eventually they got there. They settled into a new life, uh, a new season of blessing and serving others, inspiring other nations and peoples. And as they did, they always remembered Egypt, to which they never returned. They always remember being delivered from that. In the Christian tradition, when we read the Greek scriptures in the early history of the Christian movement, we realize that Jesus' first followers could have easily just gone back to the way things were. Um, after Jesus was executed, they, they could have fallen to that temptation like Judas. When they just got too exhausted by being in the wilderness of strangeness and disconnection from the normal. Um, but they didn't. They chose not to go back. Uh, they chose to carry the best parts of their old and new traditions through the wilderness. And to leave behind the traditions and the norms and the priorities that were harmful. They chose to push through the exhaustion one day at a time as they forged a new life together. Because they did, because they refused to go back, the movement of Christianity, uh, built upon a worldview of love for God in every single neighbor of every single nation, gender, and circumstance, blossomed. The movement blossomed and shone in the midst of a weary world. They became this beacon for compassion and nonviolence and unity, and their efforts changed the trajectory of the world. If they just uh, allowed themselves to buckle under the weight of the wilderness, if they'd allowed exhaustion or impatience to compel them to just go back, then that beacon for compassion and nonviolence and unity would not have been shining for the last 2,000 years, inspiring education and medical care, art, music, and efforts that seek to eradicate oppression and poverty and justice. Now, that said, let me acknowledge that in the history of the church, um, there have also been iterations of the church that have done far too many awful and harmful things when its people have fallen for the allure of power and privilege 
rather than keeping their focus on compassion, nonviolence, unity, and love for neighbor. The world uh, needed Israel when Israel made its way through the wilderness. The world needed the early church when it made its way through the wilderness. And the world, the world needs us. The world needs us to make it through this wilderness and to not go back. Um, I am exhausted. You can see. <laughs> My entire life, I have been able to find a quiet place to focus, to work, to breathe deeply. Growing up, I had a place in my own room where I could go away from my two sisters and my parents and I could just be in the stillness and the silence and, and, and I could focus and learn and grow and rest. I was fortunate enough in college, uh, one of my closest friends, best man at our wedding, uh, Jay, um, who turns 40 this weekend. Happy birthday, Jay, if you and Jen are watching. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a roommate who, who needed that quietness like me. And so we were able to be in the same space and, and, and not disrupt each other for those four years. When, when I got out of college and I started work, I had an office that I could close the door. It could be quiet. It was just me. I could focus. Uh, when I was going through seminary, um, the, the nature of our schedules allowed me a, a few hours each day um, to myself in our apartment. And, and when I really need to focus, Blair found other things to do other than um, to, for us to be spending time together. She, she knew when I needed that time. Um, when I got out of seminary, it's called ministry. In, in, in all the churches I've served, I've had an office where I can go be. Um, and I have never known anything other than several hours daily of quiet and solitude to be productive, to be prayerful to be mindful, to be focused, until now. I now share an office, formerly known as our dining room, uh, not only with our, uh, our Zoom sanctuary, but I, uh, I share this office with uh, a kindergartner who sits here, who needs help with something every 15 seconds, uh, a second grader who sits here, who can't sit still in her chair, which makes a squeaking noise as she wiggles. A fourth grader who sits here, who needs a snack break every five minutes. And a wife who sits over here, who is uh, the most beautiful woman in the world, but maybe the loudest and most ferocious typist that God has ever created. It is a very different place to try to be, and it's exhausting to try to be the same level of product, productive and mindful and prayerful in, in the midst of all this that's different. It's exhausting. There have been many days when I have thought to myself, I just... You know, it's, I love my family. It's, uh, I feel so fortunate uh, if we're to be quarantined. I feel so fortunate I get to be quarantined with them. But there are so many days where I've thought to myself, I just want it to go back to the way it was. Um, 
whether it's these working arrangements, uh, whether it's this laborious process that we have now for buying and sanitizing our groceries, whether it's the lack of certain staples for our family that just aren't at the grocery store, whether it's the lack of face-to-face -face time with our people, or it's the anxieties that so many of us have now um, about the future. <laughs> and, 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 and so many others have this anxiety and, and worry now and this very real struggle without enough work and money and they don't know how they're gonna make it through this season. Maybe we all know what it feels like to just be so over this, to, to be tired to be exhausted in ways that we haven't felt in a long time. To cry at the possibility of this going on for months more. And to just want to go back. If we're honest, there's a big, there's a part of us that just wants to go back. But with a physical, emotional, mental, spiritual strength that we aren't even sure that we have, we need to pledge to ourselves that we won't go back. We can't go back. There is so much about our pre-corona lives that was good, that we miss. But there's also so much about those pre-corona lives that wasn't good was unjust and wrong and needed to be addressed and healed, restored. Back there, that life that maybe we're longing to go back to, we worshiped money and power and success. We loved things and used people instead of using things and loving people. A religion too much of the time was consumerism and materialism. And we were convinced that we could manufacture value and, and a meaningful and a good life by consuming and acquiring. Even if that was on the backs of people that were not truly free. And even if it came at the cost of destroying this planet that sustains us all. Back there that life that part of us wants to go back to, there was rapidly increasing income inequality. There were, there were far too many of our neighbors right here in our community that lack a living wage despite working so hard. There are people going bankrupt because of medical debt, people dying because they couldn't afford their medicine. There was this uh, sinful abundance of poverty and housing insufficient, insufficiency amidst such wealth. There was a gender payment gap. There's the fact that the coming generations now have a shorter predicted lifespan and less predicted opportunities. And that life back there, there's racism and xenophobia that has us scapegoating others for problems that we brought upon ourselves. And there, back there in that life, there's a faith that we put in weapons and war and violence to solve our problems. 
And back there, that life that we think we want to go back to, so many more people year after year, increasing numbers, struggling with increasing levels of stress and anxiety and depression. Back there is not the life that God wants for us or for the world. The choice to go back might seem like a good idea to those who were the most privileged. And I suspect that those who are advocating now most loudly and sometimes violently to just go back and are really resisting this idea of being in a new season um, where patterns and norms and expectations are different, I, I suspect that those are the people who are either blind to their privilege or those that want to selfishly hoard it. But we know that to go back, to just go back, would be a harmful and deadly idea for those who were not okay back there. The poor, the food and housing and healthcare insufficient, the scapegoated, the marginalized, the victimized, the underprivileged. We cannot drag them back just to further suffer. We can't go back. God is calling uh, us, the world, in this time of wilderness to reorient so that we can move ahead to something better. So we have to take those things that were good and beautiful and just about the world as we knew it and carry them with us through this wilderness and bring them with us into a new season of life together that comes next. But we have to leave behind those things that aren't worthy of carrying forward. Like the Israelites left things behind. Um, like the early church left things behind. It's time to leave behind things like white and male privilege, national exceptionalism, an attitude of superiority, the empty promises of greed and consumerism and materialism, the rugged individualism that says, just look out for number one, and if others suffer, that's, that's not your problem. And the lie, we have to leave behind the lie that, that God was in, somehow endorsing those kinds of lives. Yes, we are exhausted. Yes, we are disconnected from the norm. And our brains have to work harder because of that. When we are out of the norm and we have to figure out new ways to operate, to do the same things and to meet the same needs, that makes us tired. It's harder. When that happens, our brains tend to trick us into thinking that we just ought to go back. But we can't. We can't go back. It may be good for some, but it's, it's really not good for all of us. We have to figure out who we want to be together, who we were made to be, while we are in this season of wilderness. And then we need to move forward together into that new and better life. You're tired. I know. I am too. But it won't be like this forever. You're loved. You're not alone. We'll get through this. And we can and will be better. Stay safe. Stay home. Be well. Peace be with you.